At this time, we'll have uh, Keith, is it Cougar? Cougar. Um, come and preach for us. I don't know a lot about him. All I know is that Pastor Stropa said that he'll do a good job, and so we'll expect that. So why don't you come up here and share the word of God with us. All right, well, good morning, and Happy New Year's. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I'll give a little bit of background about myself. Uh, I'm a student at uh, Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Uh, I know Gabriel, so if you want some tidbits, some insider information, just ask me. I'll let you know. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) I'm accompanied by my wife of three and a half years. Her name's Katrina. And our daughter, uh, she's two and a half. Her name is Ainsley. And uh, we are expecting a little one as well, a baby boy come March. So we're very excited for that. Uh, Katrina and I, uh, we met at Faith a number of years ago. I think 2014, 13, something like that. Uh, and we uh, grew up, or not grew up, we were best friends uh, at our time at Faith. Uh, we worked together in the dining hall for a number of years. And it wasn't until our third year that I finally asked her out. And uh, for those that knew us well, uh, they would tell you that it was about time. Um, I still have a few classes to finish up with my undergrad. Um, After getting married, uh, some uh, financial reasons and other things, I I haven't finished my undergrad yet. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be finishing that this spring. Um, And uh, I'll also be doing an internship come probably April or May, sometime after our baby boy is born, just depending on how things go with that. But my goal here this morning is to challenge you in your walk with God and to provide in some encouragement within that challenge. And when we think of the new year approaching, what do we typically think of? For many, that may mean that we look back at the previous year And we review the the things that were good, maybe the things that were not so good. For others, it may mean developing a plan and setting goals for the New Year's for some change that we would like to see. It may also mean for others that it's just another day, another year, just the same old, same old. Whatever group that you may be a part of, I want to challenge you this morning that it's essential for a believer to regularly examine yourself in a spiritual sense. You may ask yourself why. Why is it important that we take the time to examine our lives? Your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with others. Why should we take the time to do this? Why is it important to understand our areas of personal struggle and to develop a plan or a goal to experience genuine Christian growth? I believe for most of us here this morning, we could give reasons of why that is important. But for the sake of starting off the year well, I think it's important to flush that out. Simply put, we are are to examine ourselves because Scripture commands us to. Before we partake of the elements of the table, 1 Corinthians 11.28 tells us that we need to examine ourselves so that we do not eat or drink of the bread or juice in an unworthy manner. We are to examine ourselves so that we know whether we are being doers of the word and not hearers only. James one twenty two. 
We examine ourselves so that we know that we are putting off the old man and putting on the new, as Ephesians 4, 22 and 24 say. We examine ourselves so that we know that we, uh, whether we display the works of the flesh or the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 19 through 23. We examine ourselves so that we know whether we are conformed to this world or if we are presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. For that is our reasonable service. Romans 12, 1 through 2. We examine ourselves because we are called to be salt and light in a dark and dying world. Matthew 5, 16. Examining ourselves should be a regular part of our lives. This is the perfect time of year to examine yourself spiritually if you are not already doing that regularly. As we begin the new year, have you taken the time to evaluate this past year spiritually? Are you growing to become more Christ-like? Has your growth been stagnant? Maybe you fall in the category of never having placed your faith and trust in Christ. Wherever you are in your walk with the Lord today, let me encourage you that God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1, 3 tells us that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. If someone were to ask you this morning what it meant to live a life with Christ as your focal point, what would your answer be? That may sound like a question that would have a simple answer, but I think if we were to go around the auditorium this morning, we would have different answers. I believe the essence or the root of our answer would be the same, but that's going to look different in each of our lives. A couple of years ago, there was a child sex trafficking sting operation that took place in Ohio, state where I'm from. The sting operation resulted in 104 people being arrested. Amongst these people that were arrested was a youth leader at a Christian church. We live in a wicked and sin-cursed world, a world in which even those that claim to know and to love God can be caught up in something as wicked and sinful as a child sex trafficking. We live in a world where Christians, as believers, it is a dire to live a life that is separate from the world. We know there are people in churches all across America and all across the world that are not truly living for God. We know how broad and loose the term Christianity is used anymore. We know of denominations and religions that claim to use this book as their doctrine. But we can see how those various churches and uh, others are responding to the LGBTQ community. We have differences with others. And we can have points of disagreement and still show the love of Christ. The works, the, the world looks at the church today and claims uh, to know and love God and looks for every opportunity for us to mess up. Now, I know we aren't perfect, and if you were to talk to my wife, she would tell you the same thing that I'm not perfect. And we will never be on this side of glory. But we are to show the world the way that Christ would want us to. 
the way that we walk, the way that we interact with others, the way that we talk to our spouse, to our children, the music that we listen to, the shows and the movies that we watch, the way that we take care of our bodies, the care that we show others, and the choices that we make on a day-to-day basis as part of our Christian witness. We cannot accept or expect God to use us if we are not living for him. And this morning we are going to look at a passage this morning where the Apostle Paul is challenging the believers in the church of Ephesus to live a life that would honor and glorify Christ. So please, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 17 through 24. The big idea this morning that I hope to convey to you is that we need to learn to walk in Christ. Please follow along as I begin reading uh, in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt and according to deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for another day, for another year, for another opportunity to continue to grow in our walk and our relationship with you. And Father, as we approach your word this morning, I pray that our hearts would be opened, that your spirit would be at work, and that we would be able to take from this passage things that you would have us to learn and to grow throughout this year of 2022. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Paul here in this text is talking to the believers in Ephesus. He is pleading with them, with his brothers and sisters in Christ, to take a step back and look at the road that they were headed down, encouraging them to turn to Christ and to walk in a manner that would be pleasing to him. And you may ask yourself, what what do we mean by someone's walk? not referring to the way in which someone moves around, but rather I'm referring to the manner in which a person lives their life. Someone's walk refers to how they talk, how they react, and how they interact with others, both outwardly and inwardly. The first thing I want us to see from our text here this morning is that we need to learn to not walk how the rest of the world walks. And we see that in verses 17 through 19 explains how the world, the unsaved, walks. The phrase in verse 17, this I say therefore, tells us that there's information that Paul is coming back to that he addressed earlier in this chapter, verse 1 specifically. The next phrase where Paul says, testify in the Lord means that these are not Paul's words that he is about to speak. 
These next few verses are the words of God himself. Paul is telling us that what he is about to say has the authenticity and authorship of Christ. Paul says in the second part of verse 17 to not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And this is what sets us apart as believers. So you understand that at the time that Paul was writing this letter to the believers in Ephesus, evangelizing to Gentiles was still relatively new. The word Gentile comes from the Greek word ethnos, which can be translated as nation, people, or even heathen. The believers that Paul is writing this letter to would have understood what he was referencing. Paul is telling them to live a life not as unbelievers did. But in the next few verses, Paul explains how these Gentiles walked. In verse, uh, the end of verse 17, Paul says, in the vanity and the futility of their mind. This is the idea of being devoid of truth and appropriateness. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened. Again, Paul is describing the mind of a man that lives their life like the rest of the world. The Greek word here refers to one's ability to understand, to feel, and, or to desire. It has been darkened and is impure. In John 8, 12, Christ says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Christ is referred to as light, while sin is referred to as darkness. We know that we are called to be a light to a dark and dying world. The unbeliever is alienated from the life of God. To be alienated means to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. Paul says that the world is out of fellowship with God and is in desperate need of a relationship with him. And we can uh, can clearly see that in the world around us. How unfortunate it is to know that the vast majority of those around us do not have a relationship with their creator. Psalm 19, 1 through 6 tells us that creation testifies about God. And Romans 1, 18 through 32 tells us that unbelievers suppress God's revelation and nature and are condemned. This truth and the truth of the gospel ought to compel us to go out into our communities and out to our loved ones, to our workplaces, and wherever God may have us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul explains why an unbeliever is alienated from God at the end of verse 18. And it's because of the ignorance that is in them and the blindness of their hearts. Blindness here gives us the idea of being stubborn or callous to truth. You and I, before we accepted Christ as our Savior, we too were blinded. We too rejected truth. And if there's anyone here that has not placed their faith and trust in Christ as their personal Savior, I would urge you to take off your spiritual blinders and to place your faith and trust in Christ. See, the world has a heart that is blinding them 
from the truth that is in Christ because they have given themselves over to lewdness. Verse 19. This means to have filthy and unbridled lusts. And this refers to one's character. This gives the idea of a life without concerns for personal standards or social sanctions. At the end of verse 19, to work all in cleanness. This is the idea of a physical or moral uncleanness, impurity of lustful, luxurious, and reckless living. With greediness, meaning to covet, to desire more than what God has given you. The Gentiles indulged in self-gratification without regard for others. And this is an appalling picture of our world today. Paul is describing here how the world walks, and they walk in a manner that is completely void of truth, deprived of light, shut out of fellowship with God, with a blind heart and with a greedy and lustful lifestyle. You see, as believers, you and I are called, we are commanded to be set apart from that lifestyle. If your neighbors, your coworkers, and the people around you do not notice something different in your life, then I would challenge you to evaluate where your heart is this morning and to evaluate where your relationship with God is at. Paul expresses in verse 21 that the truth is in Christ. Is that truth in you this morning? Growing up, my family and I, we loved to go to the fairgrounds back in Ohio, and we would attend the demolition derbies. And uh, those were typically on Friday or Saturday nights. And if you aren't aware of what a demolition derby is, it's basically where they take a bunch of old cars and they smash them together. It's wonderful. I remember when I was around six or seven years old, um, we had to first go to the fair to uh, wait in line for tickets. Sometimes that would take hours. And uh, I remember at one point, my dad and I were in line for uh, some ice cream. Um, And somehow, um, I ended up wandering off from my dad. Um, I became distant from him, and he was essentially nowhere in sight. See, back then, I got uh, distracted quite easily as a child, and I began to roam. And in that moment, I did just about what every other kid would do in those circumstances when they're completely lost, and I just bawled. I was walking around for what felt like a lifetime uh, attempting to find my dad. And uh, eventually someone had came up to me and asked what was wrong. Uh, And that person ended up taking me to the headquarters uh, where they called my dad over the loudspeakers to come and get me. The point I wanted to make here is that in a crowd of thousands of people, someone noticed something different about me and what was going around going on around me. When we as believers in a crowd of unsaved people, do they notice that there is something different about you? They should see that our life is vastly different than their own and that that we have something that they are missing. One commentator put it this way, the behavior of a believer needs to be radically different than the life of the unconverted. 
So let me ask you, where are you in your walk with God this morning? If you were to take a step back and evaluate your life, would it be any different than your unsaved neighbor or coworker? Is there a noticeable difference between your life and theirs? Or are you here this morning and can honestly say that you are still darkened? Is your heart still blinded? Has there been a point in time where you have surrendered your life to God, placed your faith and trust in Christ to save you from your sins and from the wrath of God? That is the first step of taking off those spiritual blinders and living a life that would be pleasing to Christ. Secondly, I want us to see here from our text this morning is that if we are to learn to walk in Christ, we need to put off the old man. We see that starting in verse 22 says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. The phrase here, putting off, means that you are casting aside, you're putting away something. Paul is telling here that the believers here in Ephesus, that the life that you've lived before you, were accept, before you have accepted Christ as your Savior, that is something that you need to cast aside, get rid of it. We already looked at the life Paul was referring to in verses 17 through 19. Putting off the old man gives us the idea of a pair of old, filthy, and smelly clothes that you were wearing before Christ and the ones that the rest of our world is wearing. And we are to cast them aside. We are to get rid of them. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we are called to cast aside our old lives and to follow Christ. We are called to live a life that is different than the one that we once lived. So what does that former life look like for you? Have you gotten rid of those bad habits that you once had before Christ? It could be a number of things. Adultery, pornography, your language, crude jokes, smoking, laziness, anger, the judgment of others, you name it. There's a plethora of things that we all individually struggle with. When someone from the outside is looking in on your life, do they notice a change? Do they notice something different? Do they see Christ's example? We put off the old man by changing our habits. We break ties with people that we need to, or at the very least, we tell them that we cannot hang out with them in the same capacity anymore. We put barriers in place on our uh, computers and our handheld devices to prevent us from going to websites that we shouldn't go to. We enlist the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ to help keep us accountable. If you are here this morning and you do not have at least one accountability partner in your life, or maybe you're not sure what that means, I would encourage you this morning to change that. Accountability partner is someone that's close to you, someone with a godly influence in your life. Typically, if you're married, your spouse should be one of your accountability partners. It could be a best friend from college or high school. And it should also be someone that's not struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with. 
If you are one that struggles with lust or pornography, your accountability partner should also not be someone that struggles with the same thing. It should be a person that you know and you can trust and be honest with your walk. You and your accountability partner should meet regularly to talk about your walk with God. At least once a week, probably more if it's something that you're just starting out. See, it's easy to fool the people around us, isn't it? If we were to really be honest with ourselves and the things that we struggle with, we probably have gotten pretty good at hiding those things, haven't we? But just know that we cannot hide anything from the Almighty God. Believer, is your life here today radically different than the life that you lived, that you had before Christ saved you from your sins? Because it ought to be. Have you put off the former man? Thirdly, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We see that in verse 23. The uh, word renewed here is the idea of uh, renovating or being reformed. To be renewed in the, spirit, in the mind, to be spiritually transformed, and to take on a new mind. This is also something that is continuous, something that happens each and every day of our lives. Paul challenges the believers here in Ephesus to be renewed in the ways of Christ and to have their focus shifted from their old sinful lifestyles. When we are renewed in the spirit of our mind, we have these new clothes that are clean and are odor-free. Just like every morning you wake up and you put on a clean pair of clothes, it's the same concept. So how has your personal time with God been? Are you setting aside time each and every day to spend time in the word of God and to be nourished by the truth that's within its pages? Maybe you do open your Bible, but it's only for a sh- few short minutes. You give, your, give God five minutes of your day, but you use the other 1,435 minutes to do whatever you want to do. Our time in the Word should not just be to read, but rather we ought to be studying the Word. So how is your prayer life? Do you have time set aside throughout the day where you are praying for others? Or do you just pray before a meal? God wants us to communicate with him through his word and through prayer. If you were to just talk to your spouse at mealtime, your relationship would go nowhere. You cannot have a relationship with someone if you are not actively communicating with them. At least not an intimate relationship. God wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. We looked at in order to walk in Christ, we need to live differently than the world. That we need to put on or, uh, excuse me, put off the former conduct 
uh, be renewed in the spirit of our mind daily. And lastly, this morning, I want us to see that if we need to put on the new man. Verse 24 says that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The phrase here, put on, again, is a very simple language that has the idea of literally putting on new clothes or new garments. Those new, clean, and odor-free clothes that you now have in Christ, you need to put those on. Paul tells the Ephesians here that now that you know the truth, now that you know who Christ is, you need to live a life that would be honoring and pleasing to him. We are not just supposed to walk mostly in Christ and dabble in sin here and there. It's not what we're called to do. We should be set apart from this world. When we are in a crowd of people, there should be a distinct difference between you and them. The new man is created in righteousness and holiness after God. For several years, I had the opportunity to work with a a guy named Nick. Um, Nick has since moved to a different department for the company that I work for. But we had a lot of opportunity to talk about spiritual matters. You see, Nick grew up in a Christian home, and his parents were professing believers. Don't know much more about that specifically. But he grew up attending church. And at one point, he shared with me that I could relate to my childhood as well. Just like the church that I grew up in, Nick recognized a lot of hypocrisy. He heard the word of God being preached, but he did not see an outward action in the life of the congregation that he grew up in. Whether we like it or not, whether good or bad, the lives that we live are a testimony to those around us. We are called to be set apart from this world. The very way that I live my life can either effectively be building up or it could be effective in tearing down the testimony of Christ. This passage of Scripture is not something that we're instantly drawn to accept. It is our sin nature to defy God and to turn away from truth. We live in a world where hypocrisy is prevalent in the church and those professing to be Christians has grown rampant. If we took the time, I'm sure that we can all name people that we know personally or even know names of prominent Christian leaders that have fallen into sin while professing to live for Christ. These things of this world are not worth the separation that it will cause with God. If there is sin in your life this morning, have you dealt with that? Are you striving to walk with Christ and to put on that new man as Christ, as Paul describes here in this passage? Or are you still living that sinful lifestyle just like the rest of the world is living? Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me encourage you this morning that if you are struggling, you are a new creature in Christ. 
you can have hope in Christ this morning. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. No matter how many times you have failed and then fallen into sin, you can have victory in Christ. Remember what Paul says in Romans 6, that as believers, sin shall not have dominion over us. Believers, we are free from the bondage of sin. We are no longer enslaved to our former selves. You and I need to be living in Christ, in every area of our lives, in every moment, because the unsaved around us are just waiting for us to mess up. And as one pastor put it, your very actions and words could very well be the reason why someone never steps foot inside a church again and ultimately never comes to know Christ as their Savior. We are not perfect, and as I mentioned, we'll never be in the sight of glory but we need to strive to do everything possible to live a life here on earth that would be pleasing to our Lord and Savior. Do you want to be able to rightfully say the words that Paul said at the end of his life? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I'm sure that's all something that we want to be able to Say, isn't it? Matthew five thirteen through 16. Turn there real quick as we close. <clears throat> Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that you may may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. as we have the opportunity to observe the Lord's table this morning, let us examine ourselves as 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine says. For he who drinks, who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Let us remember what the Lord has done for us. The great and almighty, righteous and holy God, sent his only begotten son so that you and I would not perish if we accept the free gift that we have been given. Placing our faith and trust in Christ, we can have eternal life. That is why we examine ourselves. That is why we evaluate where we have been and where we need to go. 
That is why every day God graces us with we ought to strive to grow in Christ-likeness and collectively remember and worship together all that he has done for us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. Those that know you, Father, we need to continue to grow in Christ-likeness. So, Father, I pray for any struggles that we may have here this morning individually, maybe even corporately, that you would, through your Spirit, make those things known to us. And that we, through your Spirit, through your Word, through our knowledge of you, continue to grow, continue to put off the old man, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and to put on the new man that we have in Christ. Father, I pray that the year of 2022 would be a great year of spiritual growth in the church. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.